You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hello, I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And you're listening to the Australian Finance Podcast. A podcast where we talk about money, finance, investing, and all that good stuff. We're helping you invest your time and money better one podcast episode at a time. Yes, so please subscribe if you like the series. And don't forget you can find us on social media. We're on all the platforms. Kate, where can people go? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Rask Australia. That's R-A-S-K Australia. Mm -hmm. And I'm Owen Rask on Twitter or Owen Rask AU on Instagram. Beware the imitators. People like to copy us. Without further ado, let's jump in to today's episode. Mel, how are you going? Hey, good. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm all the more better for having the opportunity to chat with you today, to chat with you about uh, money, about spending, about investing, about everything, basically, mm. and entrepreneurialism, things that you've been working on. Uh, we caught up in Sydney a little while ago, which was uh, it was too it's long so between fun. drinks. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'm hoping today we can cover a lot of ground, a lot of new ground for people that don't know you. You have appeared on our shows before, but maybe if, can you give us a bit of a 101 into Mel Brown? Tell us a little bit about yourself, <laughs> how you got to here. There's so many books you've written and everything like that where people can go back and read and we'll put links in the show notes. But mm. tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Oh, God. Uh, so, I am an accidental entrepreneur, an accidental accountant, and an accidental uh, financial <laughs> advisor. I feel like accidental is my thing. Uh, so, I wanted to study law from school. That was my thing. I was very set on, on it, uh, but three years in, worked out I hated it. Mm -hmm. And my dad was an accountant. I really wanted to please him. Uh, you know, I was that oldest child people pleaser. So he said to me, there's law in accounting. Why don't you go study that? So mm. I went and studied accounting. Uh, my, I say that my 13-year-old self would be horrified by that decision. <laughs> She'd be crawled up in a fetal position crying, but nonetheless. Um, and I only started my firm in order to do some more study. So I thought I'll put some flyers out that shows how old I am. Uh, into letterboxes around my area, pick up a few clients and do some study. Uh, and five years later, I ended up with a business. And it was only when I divorced my first husband at age 33 that it, I took the opportunity to reassess and go, okay, let's stop this accidental nature and let's actually figure out what you want to do. Mm. And what I realised is I loved business. You know, I geeked out on Jim Collins and I really, I started an MBA and really started to geek out on business. And I realized that my accounting gave me insight into the figures of so many business owners and into their wealth creation or lack thereof. And I was able to really transform their lives through that process. And that excited me. So I built that business 
I started writing during that time because I love creativity and I love writing particularly. Mm. So I started a, a blog around fashion and and business and that became my first book, More Money for Shoes. Yep. Um, and as a result of writing that book, uh, the then uh, editor of the Sydney Morning Herald rang me and said, so I'm surrounded by men in suits and you really seem like a chick. So would you come and uh, write for us? I'm like, I'm not sure what that means or whether yeah, to be offended say. or not, but sure, I'm happy to start writing. Um, so I wrote for Fairfax, at a money column fortnightly for seven years. I've written for everyone from Vogue to Cosmo to CEO magazine uh, and more. And I continue to write books, uh, including the global bestseller, Unf. I won't say the word, you finances. <laughs> Um, and it was only pre, and I started a financial uh, advice firm as well mm -hmm. during that time because, uh, you know, for accountants to, to talk about self-managed super fund, we had to get licensed and I knew the industry was broken. I had, I really struggled finding financial advisors we could give clients to and feel comfortable and not feel mm. like they were just peddling product and not giving strategy. So we decided to play in that space and not not take commissions and just be full fee for service. Um, personally, uh, at age 33, I gave my uh, divorce settlement to charity um, and had to come back from less than nothing uh, at that point to a point where in my 40s today I have the choice to work or not, which is really cool. Um, mm. But just before the COVID hit, I sold my business to an ASX-listed firm for seven figures, uh, which I'm incredibly proud of. And because I can never not do something, uh, <laughs> I'd started to create an online course. It was my third go at it. And I realised that I'm really good at creating stuff and terrible at selling and marketing. So I decided to really go in and see if I could make a go of this uh, online course world. And I've worked out since... I love it. Um, I'm super introverted. So one-on-ones for me, which is how I've made money all my life, is really, it's so energy zapping. Whereas in the online course world, we can create incredible community where they really feel like they have a piece of me, but I don't have to do one-on-ones. So I now, it, I now am all about financial education, particularly for women, so that instead of me mm. doing it for you, I teach you how to do it yourself. Mm. It's an incredible journey. For anyone listening to this or watching this on YouTube, um, pick up one of Mel's books and just see it in action because she just made it all sound so simple. And uh, <laughs> it, I, I know from chatting to you that it hasn't been simple and it hasn't no. been linear. You know, it's mm. been a lot of roundabouts and ups and downs on the way. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's just definitely. so good to see you make that transition to courses and stuff as well, Mel, um, which yeah. is and incredible. It's interesting because I think when you when you find something that you love, you know, I less than 5% of women will start a seven-figure business. Um, and I've now started three, so accounting, preschool, and this. And it gets faster and faster each time because, A, you know the mistakes you don't want to make this time, but also you know what to prioritise. Um, so I'm super proud of that feat as well and the, the impact that means I can have. Mm. Hey, actually, I was going to ask you this later in the chat, but I might bring it up now if it's cool. Yeah. Is I also share the passion for a lot of the things that you share a passion for. So mm. um, uh, one of the things that I've been working on lately and one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, people starting small businesses. We have this tremendous mm. culture in Australia of people starting small businesses, but there's so many people that will listen to this that think, oh, I wish I would just give it a crack and they just lack that confidence. And one of the reasons why, Mal, is they are so fearful of making a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so I, I mean, it, I know we... We're just having a quick chat about this now, but yeah. is, is there anything that you could say to someone that might be sitting on the fence and thinking about those mistakes and things to avoid, like some of mm. your lessons learned? Absolutely. So uh, you've got to get good at business. It's one thing to be a good technician. It's one thing to be good at selling your product or, um, you know, if you're a mechanic and you're thinking, I want to go and have a go of it myself. It's one thing to be a great mechanic, another thing to be a great business owner. So you've got to get interested in how to run a great business. You've got to understand the numbers. 
And I don't mean that you need to become accountant. You definitely don't. There's so many, there's so much great software now that will spit out those numbers for you, but you need to understand the ones that are important for you and then the activity that you need to do to influence those numbers. Um, so that's that's so that you're doing the right, you're busy doing the right thing, not just being busy. Um, and the thing that I would say as well is to back yourself. I, my biggest regret in business is that I don't back myself earlier. Um, I think too often we're a bit cautious. Mm. So once you understand the numbers, once you start to skill up in business, it's having the courage that sure you might make some mistakes, but if you're willing to learn from them, then you can actually scale faster. Um, but they're three, they're three really easy things that I and every and I still do it. If I take my eyes off the numbers, if I stop doing the fundamentals right, my business falters even now. Um, and for me, I can tell you every part of my business. I can tell you conversion rate. I can tell you leads generated. I can tell you the size of my database needs to be for the numbers that I need to hit. I know the activity I need to be doing this week in order to hit those targets. If you can't tell me that, then you've got a problem in your business. So you need to go and figure that out. That's just great advice and so succinct. Um, uh, yeah, it, that transition from technician, like someone being oh. really good at the thing that they do to then being a good business owner is quite difficult. Really, and yeah. Focusing on that and learning, you kind of have to be the specialist generalist. You have to know a little bit about everything and yep. identify what's important. And then you can give it away because then you can keep an eye on it versus if you hire everyone for everything early on, then you don't know if they're doing a good job or not. I taught myself um, Facebook ads. Hmm. I don't intend to hold on to them forever, but when I hand them across to someone, I want to understand, are they doing a good job? Uh, is the spend worth it? I want to be able to speak their language. So it's doing the same in your business. You don't need to hold that skill and be doing it all the time. But in order to make great strategic decisions, I don't want to be at the mercy of someone else holding that knowledge. Mm, that's yeah, wonderful advice. And I, I, I do I like, I like that analogy of just not wanting to hold it the whole time. It makes a lot of sense because that's the part where we have to give give up the responsibility and yeah. a lot of a struggle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Let's let's shift gears a bit, Mel. Let's talk about. Hmm. Um, so this is on the Australian Finance Podcast. Let's let's talk about some finance and and some of the things that you've been working on lately. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you've got the online course, and a a big part of it, if I'm not mistaken, is this idea of financial empowerment. It's basically giving people confidence to tackle their finances and and, and just go about their life knowing that they feel secure and you know yeah. motivated, stronger. All of those good things that we want to feel when it comes to money. Mm. I guess maybe just to set the scene, what what does financial empowerment mean to you? Mm. So financial empowerment for me means I can sleep at night uh, mm -hmm. knowing that I'm being proactive rather than reactive. It means I have choice. So it means that my finances are set in such a way that I have choice and options for what I'm going to do in my life. Um, but also I've got that knowledge to where I can make decisions uh, versus having someone tell me what I should do. And mm. um, so I see at the moment, let's just look at property where, yes, there's less people um, at auction uh, at auctions, interest rates are going up. So I'm seeing people smashing down their mortgages and not investing and being scared to go to auctions because no one's there. So therefore it mustn't be a good decision because the herd's not there. Whereas financial empowerment is, this is my long-term goal. I know where the path that I want to take with my investing and with the, my finances. And I feel really confident in the decisions I'm making regardless of what the noise is in the marketplace, the noise is in the media or what everyone else is doing. So me, that's financially empowering because I feel like I'm in control um, mm. and I feel like I have choice. Mm. I uh, I think that's fantastic because, you know, there's, you know, if you, if you want to, if you do the average thing, you'll get average results. And I feel like yeah, if, if you can feel confident enough to stick your head out and say, you know what, actually, I think, People are still going to be living in houses in 10 years and I, I want to buy or invest in a house. So yeah. now's a good time, it seems. Yeah, I, And it's I the same. Like you could use that analogy with shares. You could use that analogy with business. People are still behaving the same way. <laughs> yeah. 
where they're they're so scared to go against the herd. But it it is that confidence in your own decision and your choices. I guess one of the things, though, Mel, is people would hear us talking like, I'm a finance person, you're a finance person, trainers and accountant. And Mm -hmm. they think, well, it's easy for you guys to say that, you know, you've done this for a long time, whatever. How, how do you try and instill that confidence in other people, you know, mm. someone that doesn't come from maybe a finance background? So I, uh, I, for me, it's all about education and it's acknowledging that that's not always easy, uh, particularly if it's not something you feel mm. like you're naturally gifted at. So uh, earlier this year, my husband is the physio for the canoe of slalom team. So Jess Fox, um, who won gold at the last Olympics and that team. So he's going to Paris uh, with the team next year and he's been travelling a lot over there for work. So we made the decision earlier this year, we're going to study French. Hmm. Um, so it all went pear-shaped pretty quickly because he got really sick. But in the few, uh, we probably did it for about four or five weeks. It, the first week I was like, oh, this is fun. We're learning the alphabet. Like it's a novelty. Mm. Week three, I'm like, oh, God, my head hurts. I, I haven't learned verbs and, and whatever since year 10 or, or year yep. six. Like it was hard and it didn't come naturally and all I wanted to do was throw my hands up. But what I know is that if, and we're going to go back to it, when we stick to it, when we practice it, we'll actually become maybe not expert speakers but proficient Um, and it's the same with our finance and financial knowledge yes you may not want to go and study at university like you and I have you might not want to become a finance professional but you want to increase your knowledge to such a point that you're proficient in what you want to do in your life Mm. and that will seem a little bit hard uh, certainly when you're doing it, you, you'll feel like your brain quite literally hurts sometimes because <laughs> especially if you're not used to thinking that way or if, especially if you've not taken the time uh, to learn about money before. But it's absolutely worth it, which is why I'm such a mm. strong believer in education when it comes to finances. Mm. I, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I've never heard the I had a similar uh, <laughs> attempt with my, uh, in my with my German lessons, and I got to admit, that's an talk. attractive language. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it exposed uh, it exposed my lack of Eng- knowledge of English. <laughs> so oh, yes. that was a bit of a hurdle. But uh-huh. but, but um, I guess one of the things that people well, there's eighteen around about eighteen hundred people have enrolled in your online course mail which is incredible yeah. plus partners and whatever mm-hmm. um and kids i guess one of the things that you know you would be coming across is people have maybe what you might call like limiting beliefs or they might have yes. just hurdles in front of them you know mm. we can all think of oh sure i want to you know buy a house i want to go on a holiday and i want to afford it yeah but then there's like then there's that other part of the brain that creeps in it's like yeah but you still got a bit of credit card debt or mm-hmm. do you know enough about this like how do you overcome those roadblocks that people put in front yeah, how do you stop the lizard brain from taking over? Yeah. Um, so that's why. So I firmly believe finance is personal. I don't have a one size. If someone says to me, how much should you be saving? I would say that's absolutely the wrong question. Um, okay. So I believe finance is personal. And that comes down to how we all think and behave and act with our finances as well. So the first two weeks in my course, we actually address that. So I look at the nature and nurture side of what you believe. So nurture being your mindset, um, what the messages that you grew up with, whether you think money is good, bad or okay, and what money stories did you grow up with? And people are so surprised that so many things that they firmly believed are truths actually have no um, grounding in reality at all. You know, Mm. in the same way that we use a pig for a money bank, uh, and no one knows, you know, if I, I've asked that question at every event that I've spoken at. There's not been a single person that can put their hand up and tell you, but it's it was a mistake. So pig was the name of the clay uh, that, that people kept their coins in back in the day. A merchant huh. from the UK went across to Europe slash Asia, uh, saw these and went, what a great idea wrote to his factory and said, I want pig pots, P-Y-G-G, because that's what the name of the clay was. People had forgotten why they called them pig pots because it was just that tradition handed down. And it was quite literally uh, like a bowl, clay bowl. So the factory manager got that request and went, oh, 
okay? I guess I'm making pig-shaped money boxes. The, uh, the owner came back and, and looked at these hundreds of pig-shaped money boxes and went, what have you done? And thought, oh, well, <laughs> I'm going to have to sell them now. And that mistake is why they were an instant hit and that is why we have the current money box. Oh, wow. And no one knows that. And it's the same with the beliefs that we have, that we are not enough or that we're a creative, therefore I'm not good with numbers or um, women aren't as good as uh, at investing or but I wasn't good at maths at school, therefore. We've come with so many beliefs. So the first two weeks for me are all about uh, addressing those and rewriting them as well as figuring out what money type you are, so the way that you naturally behave. So it's really important work to dive into. I love that analogy, Mel. I, I did Such not know. Such a good that. analogy, right? Yeah. I did not know that. And so I've been thinking that money boxes, uh, like the little pigs, the piggy banks, I didn't even know where they come from. Mm. So, and we don't think to know. That's the funny thing. We just yeah. we just accept that it's a pig. And so much of what we believe about money, we've just accepted. Like the twenty mm. percent saving rule. Who that was an Elizabeth Warren book back. I love saying last century (laughs) that she wrote last century and we've held on to that now. If you ask people, majority of people will say I should save 20% because it's it's something someone wrote last decade that we've continued to carry with us. We don't understand where it's come from. We just hold on to these truths. And in an age of declining financial literacy, more and more I think we grab hold of things because we we lack the knowledge so we grab onto those things, not necessarily knowing where they've come from. I, I, it's, I must admit, Mel, it's been a couple of years since I, I read your your book, the one that um, has a, mm. a, a great title, which I'll Budgets put in the show. Budgets work, yeah. Yeah. And even like I could see like the evolution of your writing over time and how, mm. you know, you, we could think about people and kind of like their personality types and how that influences their their, their habits and their beliefs about money. And mm. I remember looking at that and I I remember looking at it and thinking, there's so many people in my family and friendship network where I can identify some of the things that they must have been taught. They can't yep. see it. Uh-huh. But, I, but I could see it because I was like on the outside. Yeah. And once you understand some of those things, I think it's just like a superpower. You're like, wow, like I get Absolutely. it now. Like, like- that thing. You know, that's yeah, not that how thing the world that's works. been holding me back, or that thing that's driven how I have been behaving. It's actually not right, mm. and I think that's freeing because then you get to choose what you want to believe and what you want to have going forward, and mm. reduce absolutely remove that limiting belief that has potentially held you back. Mm. Um, a bit of a, I guess, a, a question you probably get a lot, right? And this might come into the mix. We'll talk about like partners and friends and stuff in a minute but Mm. one of the things that people like I have this mate of mine who says you can't take it with you that's his saying Mm. right so kind of like that's a problem for future me yeah yeah yeah, I can't take it with you yeah yeah. so uh how do you how do how do people find a balance between okay Mm. I'm saving money I've got this money so for holidays long-term investing whatever it might be yeah I don't want to become a miser like I don't want to deny myself of every experience how do you find that balance Oh, I think it's a number of different ways. So I think there will be some seasons where you might be a miser because you're going for a really a, a short-term goal that you're really excited about and you're happy to suffer in the short term. Mm-hmm. So I kind of talk about sprints and marathons and we can't run a marathon forever like, and we can't go at the pace that a sprinter will for forever. So it's having a long-term goal that you're really excited about Um and that would include things that you might want to do in the short term. Okay. And if you've got a short-term goal, at, such as, let's just pick a, an obvious one for Australia, to buy your own home, then you may want to deprive yourself for 12 months or 18 months because you're so excited about that. You might be happy to house sit and pet sit and not spend for 18 months, mm. but you don't want to do that full-time. And I think that's why it's important to understand there's sprints and marathons. We don't always want to be sprinting, but also I don't want my future, I don't want to have such a good time today that my future self is in a caravan drinking cask rosé, having to wear hand-me-down crocs. Like I'm I'm not interested in that for her. Um, 
So it's both a goals exercise, I think, to be as excited for that picture of 10 years' time as you are for today and putting things in place so that you still enjoy today, so you still have enough funds, but you're also looking after future you. But I think as well it's letting go of the entitlement and expectation around what now needs to look like. You know, when I was growing up, I shared a room with my sister. We had one TV. We had one car mm. for the family. We never went on an, we didn't go on an overseas trip till to, uh, I think it was 16 when we went to New Zealand, the big occasion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but nowadays the expectation of what is a basic right is so different than that. So I think there also needs to be that expectation of, well, that this is what society says that I should have, but what mm. actually do I want? And that's the really important thing I think is necessary in goal work, to ask the question, what do you want? Not what does society want for you? Not what do marketers say that is the bare minimum? Not what your parents want for you or your peers want for you. What do you want? Um, and only when you're excited about that. You know, if, you're, if your friend, um, if you said to them, you know, in 10 years' time, if you were having a beer with yourself at your next significant birthday, what would you want to hear? Mm. And if, if they could tell you that and then say, right, so what are you doing about that? And often when you retro, when you change the lens of what you, of how you look at these things, that's when you can start to get excited about it. Mm. I feel like there's so much in there. There's like regret minimization. There's also yeah. that independence, which you talked about before, is, you know, it's just not accepting the status quo. Yeah. And I think there's so much of that. Yeah. I Listeners of the podcast will hate me for saying this because I've said it about a hundred times. It's like it wasn't until I got a vision board that I and I started to actually write down <laughs> the things that, that I the things that I want in life, like in yep. my twenties, thirties, forties, whatever. Mm. It wasn't until I did that that I was like, oh well, now I can invest with intention and I can spend yes. with intention, which was yeah. a really big thing for me. Because otherwise, would, you just invest what you think you should, and you're not excited yeah. about it. So your motivation for it is a whole lot less than you being excited about a picture on your board. Mm. Mm. We we were chatting off air, Mel, um, just before we hit record about um, over Christmas you're going to be doing a like a goals based. Um, it seems like a forgive me if I'm wrong, it seems like a workshop mm. where, uh, you know, men and women, but women yep. primarily can come in and if they've got these New Year's resolutions or, you know, they they think like 2023, that's my year. That's my year. That's my year. <laughs> and, and if I had a dollar for every that, you can see oh, in our oh my gosh. podcast rankings now, you can see January is a huge year for us, right? Oh, but then December's hilarious. really quiet. Yes. And I do this. Yeah. I go and join the gym, right? So I get, I, I'm yes. one of these people. So no, yeah. not knocking on anyone, but how well, does- I'm the opposite. I want to, I'm like, oh God, I didn't do that. So I finished the year hard. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then burn out into yeah, uh, Christmas. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, but so how does someone go from, mm. you know, oh, I've got this goal for the new year. Um, how do they actually stick to it? Like, how do you keep yourself accountable? How do you do all that stuff? you got to have intentionality. Like for me, that's it. It's just like your vision board. It's the difference between I, th I think I should want, I think this is what I should do. Mm. You know, I, I, I know I should care about money, so I'm just going to make that my uh, to-do for next year. Whereas there's, if there's no intentionality, then it's just going to become a, your New Year's Eve uh, resolutions will become a shopping list or like a wish list that you used to write for Santa back in the mm. day. Like it's really meaningless. So for me, it's it's doing that exercise around what do you actually want? You know, what do you want in 10 years, five years' time, 10 years' time? What does that look like for the next 12 months? Um, my husband and I do something called uh, My Best Year Yet where we look at all the different parts of our life and we ask the question, How could what would it mean for that, for, what would need to happen in that little part for us to have our best year yet? Uh, so it's something I learned from an EO conference in New York. So we do it from relationships to family to money uh, to health to personal development, like it all is in there. So we then have uh, and then we drop that down from there to 90, 30 and seven-day sprints. So my husband knows that every second month he has to do a couple of dates. Um, we know financially what we're working towards that year. 
I'm comfortable with we've agreed on how often we're going to go away each quarter or how often he's going to travel for work. And it's not then a shock when you either you get to September and it's like, oh, crap, I meant to do something about it. But also you're then running in the same path together uh, because you've set that intention. And it's it's not just a we want to do better with money. It is, as I said, we set dates every second month. Uh, I'm buying this property or this much in shares or doing this with my business. We put figures and KPIs <laughs> around them so that you actually know if you're going to do it. And then we have an app called AnyList that we keep it all on. And once a month on one of our dates, we just pull it out and we see how we're doing. Hmm. Um, and for me, uh, it's the difference between that Santa's wish list or that you know, New Year's resolution where the impetus for it has gone away as soon as the hangover disappears on the first to actually doing Mm. something about it. Mm. That's that's really cool. And I like that. um, So I just wrote down some of these things, but the best, our best year yet. I feel like a lot of people listening to this can be like, like myself included, Mm. well, I want to make 2023 a better year. Frankly, I do. So how and do it I doesn't that? mean that you're not going to have crap happen. You know, since uh, since doing that, uh, hubby's had cancer. Uh, we've had family deaths. You know, we've had really significant things go on. But in every year, mm. we can genuinely say we had our best year yet because we emerged from that year as a couple, no matter what happened, uh, stronger. And whilst we in the, some of those years we might not have had ticked everything off our list, we ticked a bloody lot more than we would have if we hadn't have yeah. done that in the first place. I just love that that's kind of the, the team-based goal as well. And you broke it down to like 90-day, mm. um, like I guess. So you call the long ones a marathon and then what's yep. the 90-day? Is that They're a, the sprints. They're the sprints. Okay, I like it. Yeah, 90, 30 and 7. 90, yep. 30 and 7. And then you've got the the kind of the date night where you check in and um, yeah. you reassess, which is really cool. That's a good which, way to do it. And he's not a planner. Like he's so not a planner. Okay. Uh, I, and it wasn't until we found this template of what to do um, that it actually works for him. But he can cope with once a year sitting down. Mm. And then after that, it's just a how are we going? And he likes it because rather than me going, oh, come on, are we doing this? He knows what we're both working towards. And importantly, he knows what his part in it is. Because mm. um, it would be really easy for me as a finance professional just to take charge of everything. But I want him to have agency as well. So he's got agency with some of his things that he's contributing towards it, which is really important. I feel like it's crucial, yeah, that um, you need to feel that sense of that comes with the empowerment that we talked about earlier on, right? Like he's got to feel yeah. like he can, he's got the power to do it. He can do it himself as well. And there's something that he wants. He can work towards that. Exactly. Um, I, I really like this. I really like the smell. Um, I think that I guess uh, – a lot of people that listen to this, um, like obviously you, you guys come together and you do this. Um, mm. One of the things that we've talked about recently on the show is trying to get our partners or our friends or family to talk about money is one of the hardest things. So yeah. I guess how do, you, how do you even break down that barrier and start talking mm. about money? For me, you start it with that curious that curious lens. So if you go hard, if you've got a family member you've been worried about credit card debt with and you go in with judgment, they're potentially going to close up shop. Yeah. Um, but if you go in curiously and even say, hey, I listened to this chick uh, where she talked about something called money stories and mentioned the piggy bank, what money stories do you think you have? And then it's a curious conversation versus a judgmental conversation. So I think that's important. But also using techniques like best year yet is a way where even from what it's called your intention is that we both want something positive out of this we're not there to rip each other down where they're going and you do it separately so it's something that you do separately and then come together and it means then you've got common language to be able to regularly during the year have a conversation that is just a check-in to say how are we going with this Mm. so I think finding ways like this to do it Um, and if a partner won't engage in a curious conversation if a partner won't engage in something like best year that would be a red flag for me to say what's going on with them that they won't engage in money um Mm. and and it would be having the courage to have that conversation to say it's not okay that you won't talk to me about this can you tell me 
about your reasons uh, that you're reluctant to. And if they still won't, then it's, you've got to speak to a professional. Um, you both go into a therapist or something like that. Because financial, that's for me, that's a version of, of financial coercive control. Whereas if your partner refuses to engage with you about money, they're controlling uh, what you're able to do financially. It's a version of control. So you've got mm. to go and get that seen to um, really early on or when that red flag erupts. Uh, for you. Do you find, Mel, I couldn't agree with you more. It's such a hard, that is such a hard conversation to have because on the one hand- Such a hard conversation. You can, on the one hand, you can totally love someone and then that comes to money and they freeze up and they have so much insecurity. Yeah. Um, And on the other hand, you want to achieve these things and you want it to be healthy and open and, you know, strong Mm. relationship. Do you find that when people come into uh, the course- do you find that they often have their partners with them or is so that often not- will happen is one of two things. Either the partner's doing it together from the get-go, mm. or they're so they're sorry, they're doing it together from the get-go, or one of usually the woman joins and she shares exercises with her partner, and they'll be like, Oh, yeah, that's interesting, that's curious. But it's only when she starts to make real strides or makes real change in their finances that the partner goes, oh, that's interesting. I want to go and and play with that too. So either when they pull out the financial strategic plan and they're really starting to work on that, uh, when they're calling their home loan provider and going to their partner and saying, well, I just knocked 0.5% off the home loan, you know, what have you done? Like it's when you're Mm. making that tangible change, Often that's enough to pull the partner in to go, ha, huh, I want to know what this is about. I thought it was going to be fluffy um, and it's anything but that. Mm. But also uh, sometimes even early on uh, because if, you know, we, what we know from late relationships Australia, money is the number one thing couples fight about. We fight about it twice mm. a month. So even just being able to have someone come and want to have a genuine curious conversation about money can sometimes be enough to stop that heat. Um, But I think it's also important, like we're talking about having those conversations, it's important to acknowledge that um, there are either in a relationship it can become problematic. You know, if there's awful stats that where a woman's earning out goes past her partners and if if that partner is a male, her risk of domestic violence goes up by 30%. So there are instances where women can feel really reluctant to to engage financially. And if you want to stay in that relationship, then often it is going and finding uh, your own financial independence as well as speaking to uh, to a therapist. So I've worked a lot with women who are building their own wealth regardless of what you're doing as a couple because if I'm not going to press pause just because you won't talk about it with me or just because you feel threatened by what I earn. Mm. Um, but the other thing is there are, I think there are some people that it's not appropriate to talk about this with. So, for example, I wouldn't talk about it with my mother. Uh, it's not that I don't love her. It's that she has, you know, she's grown up, to be honest, looking back with a bit of financial control there. If I was to share stuff with her, she would be frightened. She would be scared. She'd try to talk me out of it. With business, she would go, oh, are you sure you want to do that? So I don't want her putting her limiting beliefs on what I think I'm capable of. So I'll ask her curious questions. I'll share things with her that might be interesting, but I absolutely have strong boundaries around what I'll share as far as what I'm doing. And that's where sometimes we feel Uh, that we need to be able to talk eventually with this to people. You know, we're excited about it. We want to talk to to everyone about it, but Mm. it's not necessarily something you should do if they're going to be putting their limiting beliefs on you. um, That might be someone that you go, right, that's a boundary around that one and this is what I'm prepared to talk to you about. It's really interesting. We talk to, when we talk about how people consume financial news, we say that, it's really important to understand the source and the motivation mm. of the source. I think we're all becoming a bit more wiser to that these days yeah. with politics and whatever. Um, but I think that also applies to people that we talk to money, talk with about money. Um, yeah. You mentioned a few things here that I hadn't heard. So did you, did you say that there's some research that suggests that people can 
argue or fight about money up to twice a month. Is that correct? Yeah. So the Relationships Australia's money is the number one thing we fight about and the average is we fight about it twice a month. So if that's wow. going on in your household, you're not going to want to talk about money with your partner because you no want way. it to be pleasant. <laughs> yeah. So, And that's why for me when you said how would you bring it up, for me it's always about curiosity and not judgment um, and in a way that's positive rather than negative. Um, mm. Because otherwise the presumption is going to be great. You're just going to hassle me. And also, and this is something for heterosexual couples, the media talks to men and, to money about men and women differently. So Starling Bank research showed that 90% of articles directed at men is all about having, you know, you, it's using fear as techniques about uh, with money and that money makes you more of a man. Like, you know, those awful mm. uh, messages. Whereas with women, uh more than two-thirds of articles are that we're overspenders and that we need to cut back. So what message are we taking? We're saying that you need to have more money and you need to stop spending it. So that's the message and the mindset that we're bringing into those conversations, mm. <laughs> which, again, could be a myth. So it's it's realising that and undoing a lot of that and recognising it. And these are all the sort of things we talk about just in the first couple of weeks. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I I hadn't heard of that research. I'm writing a lot of this down when we, when we chat, Mel. But um, mm. I tell you what, fellas, if you're listening to this, one of the best pieces of advice you'll get from me is uh, try and encourage your partner to earn more than you because it's uh, <laughs> it <laughs> My is. My husband would agree. <laughs> it is incredible. So go but and give that a crack. But also ask the question: How would you feel about that? Because yeah. you know that research around domestic violence sadly is true. But I think so, especially for, for men where they go, oh, I think I'd like it. You know, my husband is really, he loves that I earn more than him. However, he will, when, it, when he went away uh, overseas this year and he earned substantially less, we both agreed that he would contribute to our joint pot. He would stop contributing to our joint pot. But he couldn't go and turn that off in his bank mentally. He was like, I can't not contribute as a man. So I actually had to log in and turn it off for him. And he was very happy for me too. And I joked. I said, do you want me to do it? He goes, maybe. So I think, and it's I love that you say that, that sometimes we can give lip service to it. But when the actions come, it's actually, it is sometimes some, uh, something where if that's something that's wrapped up in our identity to say, well, well, what would I, what could I bring to the relationship if it's not money? And it can be so much more. You know, my partner brings so much, uh, whether it's providing with meals and providing other things. It doesn't have to be financial. So it's just yeah. a rewriting of that whole narrative around what does it mean to have these norms uh, when it comes to our roles financially. Yeah, and it's um, money's only one part of our life, right? It's Tiny an important part. part. It's such but, uh, an important part. Yeah. yeah, there's so much more to it. So it's not like disarming in any way to have a partner that earns more. Someone's got to probably mm. earn more unless you have identical wages, which I would say is yeah. quite <laughs> uh, rare. So. I'm not asking for a pay rise because I'm $20 above you. It's your <laughs> turn it. next. <laughs> That's it. Um, well, as we come to the end of the conversation, there is mm. um, something that we, Kate and I did want to talk to you about. Obviously, it's just me here today, but... Um, <laughs> You did a webinar which showed like 50, 50 plus mm. ways to save or to find 10K, um, so yep. $10,000. Uh, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. If We'll also have a link to, to Mel's course and to the website. So everyone, you can go find out more about Mel and I highly encourage you to follow her on Instagram as well. But um, what is, I guess, just a, a couple or a few of the ways that people mm. can move towards that goal of 10K? I know I would like to find 10K. Yeah. Well, the reason I did that uh, – just to preface it is because what I realised when everyone was ripping 10K out of super at the beginning of COVID mm. is that people uh, don't know how to find more money. You know, we know how to tighten our belts, but we don't know how to find more money. Um, so mm. I've run that a number of times since and every time it's one of my most um, popular webinars simply because people don't know how to find more money. It's not a skill that we've been taught. Uh, so some of my favourite tips from that is one that will get rid of your cost of housing. So if you're stuck on that rent uh, treadmill and feel like you just can't get ahead. And some of the questions are, what am I prepared to suffer for? Uh, but you could house it. Yeah. So for me, that underpins it. 
Uh, you could house sit or, or you could pet sit and get rid of your cost of housing, completely get rid of it. So I have a girlfriend uh, that has been unexpectedly left her December last year. She's house sit for the last 12 months and been able to save a phenomenal amount of money because her cost of housing was gone. She would be in a wildly different position now if that was the case. And she's saved. She's found way more than 10K from that one tip. So that's just one. Um, another one is to be aware of your lazy assets. So if, you're, if you've got a property, like if you live in the CBD, even if you have a driveway, you can rent out that driveway. That's an mm. asset. You could rent out your car. If you've got a swimming pool, you could rent out your swimming pool. You know, people were running out and buying caravans during COVID. You can rent out that caravan that's just sitting in the yard now. But you can also rent out tools that you have or the projector that you use once a year or clothes that you bought for a wedding that you're not mm. going to intend to wear again. So if you don't want to sell that stuff, it's asking the question, what lazy assets do I have that I might not even realise are assets um, and can I rent them out? And there's loads of websites from Swimplify to car um, car uh, websites to rent my closet. There's so much that uh, so many websites dedicated for renting out these things. Um, and the other thing I would say is, uh, and I know we talked about business, is a side hustle. Mm. You know, I believe everyone has a side hustle in them. Not everyone's meant to give up their day job, but everyone has a side hustle in them. Either it's putting your skills online, um, whether it's starting a small course, whether it's selling a product, whether it's doing some consulting I believe everyone has the ability to, to earn a little bit extra on the side. It's just what platform's going to be right for me to do that and then how can I set up very quickly and easy to start selling. Hmm. I like it. So we've got that like housing one. I've had the experience with house sitting before and ah, I remember that uh, and a friend of ours actually saved their entire house deposit by doing that. Of course, they had to have uh -huh. kind of like a in-between place, which was their parents' place if they wanted to crash mm. for a couple of nights in between. But um, they basically saved their entire house deposit that way. Abs and, and in between, you can even pay, you might pay for Airbnb or a cheap hotel, and that's still so much cheaper than renting might have been. Yeah, for sure it is. Yeah. Mm. Um, lazy assets. I love that. I um. Whenever we go away for, as a team, we don't use like the the Hertz or the, um, yeah. the traditional hire cars. We use um, Car Next Door, which is an app oh. that you can download. Yeah. And it's just everyday people just sharing their cars. Their car. yeah. So much cheaper. So much cheaper. So much cheaper. Or Go hustles. Get, which is another yeah, great go get. one. Yeah. Mm. And, and side hustles obviously speak for themselves. So uh, mm. that's, this, this is a fantastic list. But Mel, you we've got so we've got travel, we've got fuel, we've got food, we've got all these different ways to save in there. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So that will be in the show notes if you want to find out more, as will the um, mm. the goals mini course that you've got coming up in December. Yeah. If I'm not mista mistaken, six lessons, $97. That's right. It's yep. pretty, very affordable if you're just tip, uh, dipping your toes into trying to get more from yourself. But it's also, you know, you, your your course, your online course, which is, um, it only has limited intakes every year, which I think is kind of cool because it adds scarcity mm. to it. Yeah. Um, when is the next opening of that course? Uh, January 23. And from memory, it's the 21st of January. Okay. Yeah. okay so so 21st jump on the January. wait list because we've got cool bonuses if you do. Yeah, yeah, there'll be a, again, there'll be a link in the show notes. And um, I think a lot of what I've taken away from today, Mal, it's clear that mm. this, I'm not, I'm not, I'm promoting your course here and we get nothing for it, but I'm just saying like, yeah, yeah. it's clear that anyone coming in to that would get value for money because I've learned, I've even written down so much here about just actionable ways. And when we first met many moons ago, you said to me, what are you prepared to sacrifice? And that stuck with me as like, that is the secret to budgeting basically. Yeah. It's what yeah. are you prepared to sacrifice and mm. getting comfortable with that. So thank you for taking some time to, to really, to join me on the show and share some of your wisdom. Um, I, you know, and when we catch up in a couple more years, I, I, I'm keen to see where you are next, but uh, in the meantime, mm. I wish you all the best with this and, and thanks for taking some time to share that wisdom. Oh, you're so welcome. It's always a pleasure to chat to you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. 
If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.